Has it ever occurred to you just how incredible grapes are? Now think about it. That little box of raisins your mother packed in your lunch bag was the only fruit that qualified as a dessert. And consider this. When we hear juicy gossip, we say we heard it through the grapevine. We didn't hear it through the apple tree or the berry bush. Grapes are so darn special that the grocery store expects us to snitch a few to ensure quality control. Try doing that with a banana or a pineapple. Admit it, every encounter you've ever had with grapes has been positive. That's why we created Grape Encounters, a place for adults to hang out and focus on the paramount achievement of grapedom. Delicious, irresistible wine. Wine brings people together. It starts conversations. It makes us happy. In fact, wherever there are grapes, there's gorgeous scenery, very cool people, and plenty of laughter. All that being said, let's bring out your guide for this journey. The Wizard of Wine, the Gangster of Grape, David Wilson. I don't even know how I can start this week's show because when I was doing research on today's guest, and I should say, I started doing research about her, I guess it's been a couple of months ago when I first learned about this guest. And I was so blown away by what she's doing. And then I ended up getting caught in the process of relocating to Europe. And so we kind of put aside the idea of having her on the show. But now I'm in Europe. And so it only makes sense that I have a guest on who operates, oh, I don't know, five miles from where I was the whole time that she's been in business. So I got to move to Italy to get this guest on, but I think she's now taking me seriously because we're doing this all the way from Europe. Anyway, that's not exactly the case. My guest today is Katarina Axelson, and she has a company called Tastry. And it, you know, kind of sounds like maybe she has a restaurant or a bakery or something like that. No, she has a technology company that is doing stuff that is so amazing, so cutting edge, and that you are going to be so incredibly happy about. It's a game changer for wine drinkers, for the wine industry. The world is going to be a much happier place because Katarina is on it. Katarina, how's that for an introduction? Okay. That's so good. Thanks for having me. I can't believe we never ran into each other. I know. Well, you were too busy doing what you do. And judging from the number of interviews that you have done with the biggest publications in the world and other news media, print, broadcast. It's astounding how much attention you're getting, but I don't think that we've seen even the tip of the iceberg from you just yet because, you know, when I tell people about what you're doing, they're going, say what? You are just at the precipice right now of something that's going to rock the world. And I'm glad that everything that I say gets recorded because I'm telling you, I'm going to say three years from now, three years from now, I'm going to be doing the biggest I told you so that I've ever done in my entire life. I think that what you are doing is astounding and it's going to be something that people are so grateful for. But I think we've teased them long enough because we're like now four minutes into the show and I really haven't told them squat. 
just yet. But <laughs> you are in the Paso Robles wine region. Your lab is in San Luis Obispo. You're a graduate of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is one of the finest. Well, it's not just one of the finest ag universities. It's just good at everything it does. And you started a company that is, I guess, in a nutshell, uh, allowing us to understand what we like, what we don't like, why we like it, what audiences winemakers should take their wine to, what adjustments they could make to the wine. It just goes on and on. You're using artificial intelligence to help people zero in on where a wine should be sold, all of these different things. Can you boil it down for me? Because it's so over my head, but I I think I understand it. So we do a lot of things, but if I were to just sum up our capabilities, I would say that we love making the statement that we taught a computer how to taste. Okay. So there's a lab component as well. So we do have a TTB certified lab in San Luis Obispo. And what we have basically been doing over the past five years is analyzing the world of wine using our unique analytical chemistry methodology and capturing the palate data of consumers in the market, and then combining those two data sets to render all sorts of predictive insights that we wouldn't have been able to understand before. That's as simply as I can put it. If I go in more specifically, we work with retailers to help them sell more wine and understand what their customers are going to like. We work with wineries to help them figure out how consumers will like a wine before it's even made. We also help them sell more wine and we help them get their brand in front of customers who we know are going to love their product the most. Okay, so let me see if I can understand this a little better by asking this. It seems like there are two sets of data. There's the consumer and then there's the wine. So I imagine that the size of these databases on both sides, wine and consumer, have got to be massive, right? How long have you been accumulating this data? How big are these databases? And most of all, how do you do it? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I was asking that same question five years ago. Okay. So I'll start on the wine chemistry side and um, just give you a little bit of the origin story. So the, the methodology that was developed to capture the flavor matrix, quote unquote, that alone took you know two years. And we worked with sensory scientists and winemakers and PhDs in AI. And what that meant was, is, is in order to get the data we thought we needed to understand the world of wine, we needed to gather our own data. So we tested over the course of the next couple of years, about 15,000 wines. We set up a lab. We made sure we had the throughput to do that. Our methodology can handle it. So 15,000 wines, you know, you would say is about 10% of the U.S. wine market. There's about, what, 150,000 SKUs launched every year. But there's a Pareto principle where, you know, the top 20% of brands are in 80% of, you know, distribution, 80% of exposure, right? Right. So if you get the top brands, you kind of understand the market. And then when you play the what if scenario and look at, you know, smaller, more artisan, interesting brands and throw them in the mix and see how they compare. And they actually do really well. So I'm sorry to get on tangent. So we just tested a lot of wine, like that's the simple answer. And then on the consumer palette side, the first thing we did is we built a wine recommender that got us the data that we need. And you may have seen similar whimsical looking quizzes out in the market. We went that direction, but there's a huge 
huge, huge difference between how we capture someone's palate and a tasting note filter online. And that is in order to have been able to understand your palate in about 10 questions, we had to, over the years, pour thousands of wines to thousands of people, have them blind rate the wine and answer 200 analog questions to the underlying chemistry at the same time. So we'd ask people, how do you like black coffee, licorice, dark chocolate? But instead of binning them based on their results as Pinot drinkers or Cab drinkers or Chardonnay drinkers, we would plot their response in a multidimensional space along with the chemistry. And as a result, be able to fingerprint their palate. And I can definitely tell you, we see in the data, everyone's palate is so unique. We can look at how varieties relate to you. And just to more directly answer your question, the way we gathered consumer palate data in a scalable fashion was we sold this recommender to big box grocery retailers, and they would offer to their customers Mm -hmm. to help them find a wine in the wine aisle that they would like. So we've accumulated over 100,000 pallets to date, and we test over 15,000 wines a year. So first of all, the most important question is, you're pouring all this wine for all these consumers. Not one time, not once was I invited. Not even one time. (laughs) Did you even call me? <laughs> okay. How did I get to be part of the study? If somebody became a part of the study, did you recruit them? Were you looking for specific kinds of people or was it random? We did anything and everything, to be honest. You know, over the years, we have worked with sororities and tested the palates of 21 year olds. We've also worked with expert sommeliers and we've worked with intermediate drinkers and the team would network and get people to sign up for this program that would take, you know, sometimes eight weeks, people would show up um, eight weeks in a row. And then they brought their friends. And then one thing led to another, but we got a pretty diverse sample of drinkers. And I think that was important because the more experienced you get, the more differently you behave. And we want to see we wanted to see how do we have visibility on that, right? All right. So I can see right now, Katerina, that we are going to have to do some serious oversimplification for the rest of the show because the really meaty, cool, juicy stuff is still yet to come. And I can't wait to dive into this. I got to tell you the thing that I do that's kind of similar to what you do, except it's not. Anyway, we'll talk about that in just a second when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Oh my gosh, I have the most interesting guest on today. I, I can't imagine anybody being more interesting. We got to talk a lot offline. Wow. She's a major wow. She is Katarina Axelson. She is the founder of Tastry. It is mind-boggling the research that they're doing and the services that they are providing to the world. And believe me, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say there's a good chance she's probably going to save you a bunch of money on wine too. And we'll explain that when we come back with more Grape Encounters right after this. You're listening to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. We offer something for everyone. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to offer free wine. That's what your friends are for. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry-farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine 
Walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMOrganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two horse port style wine. MMOrganics.com. Eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. So imagine this for a second. You are a wine producer. You are making several different wines. You've got this one wine. You just love it. But for some reason, the people that you've been pouring it for aren't loving it like you're loving it. And maybe it's not the wine. Maybe it's just the audience. You know, some people like rap music. Some people like classical. Me, I'm in Italy now, so I'm into Gregorian chants a lot of that right now. But no, going back to wine for a second, it's so common that we don't match the wine to the person and therefore the person says, I don't like Chardonnay or I don't like Merlot or I don't like wine. I don't like red wine. I've heard this for my whole adult life. And finally, somebody comes along who can help us sort that out. And it's Katerina Axelson. She created a company. It's called Taste Tree. Believe me, it is getting tons of press, but it really is just the tip of the iceberg right now for her because more and more people are going to discover this and they're going to realize that there is a way for us to stop matching people incorrectly with wine. You know, we're pouring the wrong wines for the wrong people, and that is problematic, especially when the wine we're pouring is $40 a bottle, and you just get all ticked off and go, I spent all that money, and my date didn't like it. And then you want to pour it down the drain? No, save it for the next date. That's what I would do. Anyway, Katarina, it's so nice to have you on the show. First of all, can you give me a little bit of background about how you ended up going down this road? You went to Cal Poly. Did you ever imagine doing what you're doing now? Not at all. I could not have ever imagined that I would be doing this. I mean, I feel like I was always a scientist at heart and I did gravitate toward the science, but I couldn't have envisioned Tastry. I think we're still envisioning Tastry and what it's becoming. But I came up with an invention because I was given a lot of freedom to act like a mad scientist in a lab. And I saw what had been made and just took the opportunity and ran with it and uh, haven't looked back yet. So when you say you made an invention. What was the invention exactly? Well, I was doing a lot of quality control chemistry, right? Every winery does that. You test the chemistry of the wine to make sure that things are in balance the way they should be. But as I was doing this, I was observing, I would just vaguely say idiosyncrasies with how wine is made and brought to market, right? There are inefficiencies. There's a lot of guesswork involved. And, you know, this could be a multi-year, multi-million dollar investment. So I thought I'm a scientist, you know, I'm a young scientist, I'm going to objectify this and I'm going to solve this problem. And and I'm going to make sure that a winery doesn't have to make a wine that people are not going to like. And people are going to always find the wine they're going to love. But the answer is in the chemistry. That was my hypothesis. So I spent, you know, two years talking to the head researchers at IBM and which just say very major flavor and fragrance companies.
is. And I just yeah. wanted to understand, like, what is the status quo? How are people currently formulating products? And this would apply to wine. And what I understood very quickly, there's three problems. Flavors are not predictable. There's a flavor matrix effect that's masking the compounds that you might be looking for or allowing them to be expressed. And the good news is what flavors you perceive in a product like wine are not necessarily predictive of whether or not you actually like it. And at the end of the day, I think what's more important is, do you like the product? versus do you taste cherries? So 10 second answer, I broke down the flavor matrix and quotation marks to look at wine from a machine's perspective, the same way the human palate would so that I can capture everyone's palates and then start matching them to wines. That's as short of an answer as I can give without causing confusion. So. No, the genius in your answer is that you really underscore the fact that we are so obsessed with identifying cassis and leather and pencil lead and yeah. fresh fallen rain and all of these things that we are so proud that we perceived in the wine but didn't answer the question, well, do I like it? Do I like those flavors? Because it's great that you can Pick them out. But I defy anybody to sit down next to you, Katarina, and say, you know what? There is nothing that I love more than a heaping plate of pencil lead. I just love it. It's so delicious. It's not true. I think that's exactly right. And that's what all the research was talking about is how do we identify the cherry flavor? How do we do this in sensory? And I'm thinking, but no one's asking the question, how do I know if people are going to like this? You know, how many times has this happened to you, Katarina, where you've gone out to a dinner or let's say, you know, your aunt Ethel made dinner for you and the family and you're sitting there and you're eating whatever it is that she cooked and you're going, oh my God, that's so delicious. It's so delicious. And you can see it's quite obvious that there's this in the pot and that in the pot. But then after a lot of discussion with aunt Ethel, she says, you know, I, I use just like a quarter of a teaspoon of nutmeg. So you in a million years couldn't have picked that nutmeg out. But when it interacts with everything else that's in the dish, it's like, oh, man, it's just like the French. Put a tablespoon of cream in anything and it'll be delicious, you know, but you may not even realize it's there. I guarantee this. Grab some kitty litter and put a tablespoon of cream on it. You'll like the crunch and you'll love the creaminess at the same time. So it's so important for us to understand why we like something, not just to sit around and pontificate about how good we are at identifying certain flavors, right? Do I have that right? I, I, that's exactly right. I don't think it has to be complicated or enjoyable. And answering all these questions, I, I'm just going to say it, it's really easy with the chemistry and with mathematics. A human doesn't have to do that. A human just has to provide their palate. And I, I think, you know, a big part of our vision is to increase efficiency and make things easier. So I totally agree with you. And I totally agree with your perspective on, you know, flavors and how they're interdependent. For example, I don't like bell peppers, right? But I like cooler climate red wines in general that have that characteristic, right? Because it's with something else. Bell right? pepper knows. Yeah. I wish I could remember the name of the writer that made the statement, but it was really a long time ago. And he was talking about how we use other things to describe something. And his statement was, if we, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if we say then that the Chardonnay tastes like a peach, what then does a peach taste like? <laughs> 
And I read that statement and I go, that is so incredibly right on because that's what we do. We use things that we're familiar with as a reference point for wine, but then we don't know whether those things that we're familiar with that we're referencing are, are what are causing us to like the wine or dislike the wine. How do you describe a cherry? You can't. There are no words to describe a cherry. But somebody in a laboratory can probably figure it out, right? Well, sort of. But but even there, this is a common problem in focus groups or panels. You know, half the people will come back and say, this tastes like apple. And the other half will say, this tastes like pear, because there is no ground truth to taste, because we all have our unique machinery, our own unique set of life experiences, yeah. right, that allow us to interpret something. So, yeah. I'm, we're going to take a, a break here, but I'm going to defy the audience to do the following thing while we're taking a break. Of course, you got to listen to the commercials because that's what keeps us on the air. But also, if there are a couple of you listening together, do this exercise. It'll be fun. You'll tear your hair out. Pick anything, an apple, a peach, I don't care, a walnut, and then try to describe it together without using any foods as descriptors, okay? Try to describe it. Guess what? Of the hundreds of thousands of people listening, not one of you is going to be able to do that. I'll bet you. We are talking to Katerina Axelson. She is the founder of Tastry. I think it's got to be the most cutting edge business in the wine industry. And they're just getting started. They're just in the bull pin winding up. So just wait and see what happens in the next couple of years. We'll be right back. Smoke from increasing wildfires is tainting wine grapes and vineyard executives are looking for new ways to adapt. Pure Fresh Wines O3 technology helps vineyards overcome the problems caused by wildfire smoke by treating grapes pre-crush to improve fermentation and overall wine quality as well as removing smoke taint. For the typical winery, saving a full harvest of grapes with pure fresh wine costs only 10 cents per bottle. O3 technology has been approved by the FDA and USDA. It leaves no residue and uses no chemicals. It provides many benefits to wineries, including the removal of sulfur, pesticides, and fungicides pre-crush, the reduction of bad bacteria and mold issues, an improvement in roundness and fruit-forward palate notes, and so much more. Most importantly, it safely and naturally breaks down smoke taint molecules to save grapes from damage. Rescue your harvest from smoke taint. Visit purefreshwine.com today. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or artisan spirit at Total Wine & More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the friendly smile of an expert guide, ready to help you find that perfect bottle. And the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. Explore the wondrous selection and totally low prices at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. B21. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, having a really super interesting conversation today, which I, it's one of those conversations I wish we could do it for like eight hours because it's so fascinating. This is the conversation where you want to have this gigantic bowl of pasta and I, I don't know, whatever you love, but just a lot of Italian food sitting on the table. And then you just start talking about subjects like this. We are talking to Katerina Axelson. 
She's in Paso Robles. It's kind of like this strange situation where I lived and I worked just a few miles from her and I knew about her, but I didn't know about her until I was already making plans to move to Europe. And so I didn't get to sit down and talk to her. And I'm really bummed about that. We're talking now and we're doing this whole thing with Zoom and we're having all kinds of, by the way, technology problems because connectivity can sometimes not be the best. And we're going to be moving into our plush new studios pretty soon, which is going to be in a like six or 700 year old palace, which is pretty cool. Anyway, Katarina, we're doing the best we can here, but I love what you're doing. It is fascinating to me. Let's just talk for a second about the ability of what you're doing to save people money and also to stop them from being frustrated because used correctly, your technology can go a long ways toward stopping people from making mistakes. And and by the way, I got a letter. It was just literally like a week ago from a listener. So what the person is writing me about is that they would really like to appreciate Italian wines, but they are frustrated because they know in their heart that there are Italian wines out there that they will love, but everything that they're tasting is too dry for them. It just doesn't work for them. They don't have any idea how to find the right wines for their palate, yet they are absolutely convinced that those wines are out there. So isn't that almost like, Katarina, the number one benefit of a business getting involved with you? I mean, it's glorious, the implications of being able to keep somebody from squandering money on something they're not going to like. Yeah, I think people don't like wasting money on things they don't like. So first and foremost, I see, you know, from a consumer perspective, Tastry is a risk mitigation engine, right? Yeah. And we make that a priority whenever we're looking at any data or anything, because we, we operate under the principle that you don't like what you don't like more than you like what you like. I think that very wait, much- Wait, wait, so explain that. that again. You don't like what you don't like more than you like what you like. That's right. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So how in real life will people who are in the wine industry, people who are in the retail world, people who are consumers, who are just looking for something that they're going to enjoy, can you just kind of go through those and tell me in the real world, the practical application and what that really looks like with Tastry? Sure, sure. There's a few. So one is we have a technology demonstrator app with a pretty decent database of wines right now. You can download it on Android or the App Store, uh-huh. and you can get personalized wine recommendations and food pairings that go along with them. And you can compare the wine to a group of friends or your wife to see if it matches to you. That We, we have that out there. We're not heavily promoting it because our vision is for things to be powered by tastry. And the more common application is we have a widget. And with two lines of code, you plug our recommender into your e-com site for wine, your wine clubs, memberships page. We just want to be like that icon, that green little check mark next to anything you buy saying it's okay, you're going to love this. 
Wow. Um, so it's powered by Tastry and it, you know, it's own omni-channel. We've done kiosks, we've done web integrations, and we've done apps. So you can find us in a lot of places. And QR codes and wine aisles and grocery stores is also a way you can find us. <laughs> you know, I, I want to interrupt what you're saying for just a second because I keep thinking this and I, I want to ask this question. I mean, obviously, right now, this is about wine, but I'm seriously, it's going to be about food, isn't it, soon? I mean, it's going to be about other things that we enjoy. Is wine just the beginning? Yes, absolutely. So we looked at the chemistry in a way that was not unique to wine. It's all about human perception of products. And we've done, you know, I mean, obviously other alcohol, but we've looked at orange juice and coffee and soft drinks and yogurt and fragrance. And we know that the technology applies there. We we just want to revolutionize the way people perceive wine in the wine industry first. And then go on to the next thing. Well, you know, I was thinking about something that, that I was talking to a friend about not very long ago, and it was about the McDonald's, the plain McDonald's cheeseburger, okay? Mm-hmm. That little flat little thing that's, you know, it doesn't amount to much. And people will say, I'm never eating McDonald's and I don't eat at McDonald's. But the reality is, is that people that eat that cheeseburger, God, do they love that cheeseburger. It's just this simple, basic thing with little chopped up onions on it. There's not much to it, but for some reason, it's comfort food and it's delicious. It is actually delicious. I said it. And so we can understand why somebody is so freaked out in a good way about the McDonald's cheeseburger, or do I say in and out burger, which is mostly a West Coast thing, but people would kill to have an in and out burger. And once we understand what it is about those foods, we can make more of it, right? Is that right? That's right. And we could probably do even better, but also make the product better. There's a lot of uh, modifications that you can make, for example, that make something healthier. I don't know if you want to go in this direction when you're talking about wine, but one thing we've noticed is that wines, even if they're not perceived as being sweet, if they have a lot of sugar, even if people don't perceive that, people like it more. And I suspect it's because you get that hit in the brain, that sugar hit, and you might not know it's happening, but it makes you feel good, right? But the sugar is being masked by all the other variables, right? You can do the opposite and make something taste or smell sweeter, but have it have way less sugar. You know, there's a lot of things to play around with. I was reading a story several years ago that kind of, I just shook my head and said, no, that can't be. And then I started playing with it. Turns out it was correct. It was a a wine writer in, in the New York Times. And he was talking about the fact that alcohol, when the alcohol level in wine is too high, it will mask a lot of the other flavors in the wine. And therefore, all you got to do is lower that alcohol curtain that's blocking everything off by adding just a tiny bit of water, just a tiny Mm -hmm. bit of water to a glass of wine. And when I say a tiny bit, a half a teaspoon, hardly anything, but it, it, it lowers that threshold and it's astonishing how by diluting wine, the wine suddenly tastes more more well-rounded. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, you see what the alcohol's hiding. Yeah, you see what the alcohol's hiding. And it it is so counterintuitive, but it's correct. And also, you know, to me, I always say that adding a little sweetness to wine is uh, sugar is the miracle grow of wine. If you're a gardener and you use miracle grow, it's the most astounding thing. You spray it on the plants, get up the next morning, the plants are going, hello, 
They're so happy when you put the miracle grow on them. And sugar is the same way. Sugar will help to brighten up a wine and not necessarily make it sweeter. Just it just opens a certain flavors up. And if you care to find the interview that I did with Michael Mandabi, because he explains in more detail how that chemically actually works, it's a pretty cool thing. Anyway, I do add sweetness uh, sometimes, Katerina, to wine. You don't mind, do you? No, no, not at all. I was commenting. It's interesting to be able to observe those effects and validate them and possibly use it for decisions you're going to make in the future. But yeah, there are very interesting relationships out there in the chemistry. Some of them we know about, some of them we don't. So some of the people that are contracting with you, do you see a lot of aha moments where they go, oh my gosh, that's all we needed to do? Is that happening? In a way, I feel like I have to give some background, but in addition to, you know, providing recommendations for customers to help wine brands get discovered by customers who wouldn't have otherwise, right? That, yeah. that's, that's part of our mission. And in addition to that, we also work directly with wineries. And one of the handful of things we do is we look at oak adjuncts, we look at blending, we look at pricing, we look at, we do a competitive analysis, and then we also can tell them where the customers are in major cities across the country and where they should be targeting them because we know their brand is the screaming eagle for someone out there. So we do a lot of things. So you know um, even where these consumers are at. Yeah. Geographically. Because there are trends. Oh, yeah. Wow. There are trends in the in the data. Major cities are very predictable Amazing. for us right now. Amazing. You can see the inventory in a zip code and we can see what the palette match is to that subset of wines wow. to the population and what subset of wines should be present there so that people would buy more wine they enjoy. That's one way retailers use us. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but now I have to jump in because we got to take one of those commercial breaks right now. So we'll do that real quick. We'll come back. We're talking to Katerina Axelson. She is the founder of Tastry. They're a game changer in the wine industry. I'm sure we'll be in the food industry as well. Maybe even perfume and dog grooming. Who knows? Anyway, we'll see where that goes. But we've got a little more time to spend with her. And we're going to do that right after these messages on Grape Encounters. Something amazing happened to me the other day at Total Wine and More. I found my new favorite Cabernet Sauvignon at a totally low price. As soon as I picked it up, it felt like, aha, I knew it was the one. So go explore their wondrous selection and you'll feel it too. Because at Total Wine and More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. Download the Total Wine app or visit TotalWine.com. But please drink responsibly. Be 21. amount of things that I would like to talk to Katerina Axelson about just is endless because she is doing something that I never really dreamed was possible and now it is and it's just incredibly cool. She can analyze wine in such a way, her company can, Tastry, in such a way that we can match people, consumers, with wines that they're really truly going to love. People who said, I don't like 
red wine or I don't like this kind of wine are going to have epiphanies every day of their life because they're going to be introduced to things that are better suited for them. And I would be the first person to admit that wine is super tricky. And if you took 100 bottles of wine, the odds of you loving more than 20 of them are pretty slim. It just is because wine is so diverse. So it's hard to match you with the perfect wine. Now, Katerina, I got to tell you something that I've been doing for years. And this is why I think that you and I have something in common, except mine isn't scientific at all. Maybe it is. Okay. You want to hear what I do? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I do this thing. I just call it 20 questions. I've been doing this for many years now, and people have loaded up cars full of people and all come to see me because I do this thing. And here's how it goes. I ask you questions about your life. I ask you what car you drive. I say, uh, what color is that car? And you say it's silver. And I'll say, well, if I could snap my fingers and change the color, what color would you like it to be? Then you tell me that. And then I'm going to say, okay, if I sit in the car and I turn on your radio, what am I going to hear? And you're going to tell me. I'm going to say, what's the last movie that you saw three times? What kind of music do you listen to? Anyway, you're going to get 20 questions. Now I had a wine shop. So when we're through with the questions, I just walk into the wine shop and I grab a bottle. I go, this is your wine right here. You know how many times I've been wrong? You want to guess? This is a setup, Uh, of course. I'm guessing maybe you've been wrong a couple times. Not one time. Never. Not not, not not even one time. Now, there's a very well-known psychologist, and she lives on the Central Coast. Her name is Denise Dudley. And she founded a company called Skill Paths, which is like the biggest learning company in the world. And she was very skeptical about being able to predict wine taste based on the things that I just shared with you. And so mm-hmm. she put me to the test. She's an author. She's very high profile, okay? She was stunned at the end. She said never had she been introduced to a more perfect wine for her palate. I guess it is kind of scientific. It is, it is wow. right? Because that area of your brain that processes things like music and drugs and sex is the same area that's stimulated right. by wine. So there you have it. That Order. is wild. I want to go evaluate this like scientifically now. I want to ask these questions and I want to have you endorse them and I want to replicate this. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do this exercise with you. And then I'm going to have a wine sent over to you that I think is the right wine based on your answers. How's that? You and I have not talked at all about your wine preferences and we're going to keep it that way. Okay. That by the way, is the biggest rule is you are not allowed to ask any questions about wine. I'm not allowed. Okay. I love that. Okay. Sounds great. I'll be very surprised because I do have a particular strangeness in my preferences. So I can, tell, I can tell you one right now. I just based on our conversations and just sitting here and talking to you, I'm going to just, this is going to be way off the wall, but I'm going to say that you would certainly love Sparkle. That would be way up on the list for you. Do you want me to respond right now? Because you're totally right. In fact, people call me Bubbles at the Bubbles? Office, so. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. See? Anyway, there's a lot. We're going to learn more about you. Okay. So listen, we don't have a lot of time. So I think the best thing for us to do, rather than try to cram more in the next three or four minutes, okay? As a lot of people know, I have been working with, I'm not employed by, okay? But I just, because I want to learn from this region, I've been working with a wine brand here that is really amazing because they're replicating wines that were made 2,000 years ago. Not really replicating the wines, but using 
using the techniques. I want to send you, can I send you a couple of bottles, Katerina, and then have you do your voodoo on these wines? I think it just would be super interesting because I'm so immersed in these wines right now. I know them so well. It would be interesting to see what you discover. I would love to. Yes, please. Cool beans. Okay. All right. Let's definitely do that. So here's what we got to do. I'm going to send you some wine. And again, I'm not getting paid to do this. I want to be really clear. This is not an advertiser. They're just people who introduced me to this part of Italy and they've been hosting me here. They've been helping me get along. And so I'm also helping them and sharing the knowledge that I have. So this would be a great way to share more with them because we could get your perspective on the wines. That'd be super cool. So we got to do that. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to do the 20 questions with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I suggest is, is that I'll send you some wine, you do the analysis, and then we'll get back on the radio and we'll talk about that. And then at the same time, we're going to analyze you. Okay. Using my non-scientific technology, which is just, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you how I came to develop this talent. What I've been doing for years, and people know this about me, is like, say, say for instance, on Facebook, I'll just post a question. Uh, it'll be Survey Monkey, you know, and it'll, right. it'll say, what's your go-to white wine? What's your go-to red wine? And what kind of car do you drive? Mm-hmm. That's it. And I've been collecting data like that for years. And then I use that That's data. So, so cool. So you you added adjacent data and then you, you drew relationships from it. You, you know what it was is that I've been involved with wine for a long time. And I just started to notice patterns that, you know, when people had certain tastes and things, it also translated into certain tastes in wine. I mean, it only makes sense and there's no reason why it shouldn't work. For the same reason that tastry works the way it does. I wonder if you can have someone take like a Myers-Briggs test and recommend wines to them based on their personality type. I think that would definitely be the case. (laughs) We're out of time. I can't believe it. This went so, so fast. I've had so much fun with you. So we have a lot of industry people that listen to this show. For people who want to know more about what you're doing, just go to your website. Would that be the best place to go? Yeah, our website, you can see who we're working with, what our vision is. But if you want to reach out, the best way to do that is to message hello at tastry.com and then put attention Katerina Axelson. And I almost always get back to you. And tastry, just to be clear, is T-A-S-T-R-1. Like Tastry, but with a T. Tastry. Just Google Katerina or Tastry. I'm telling you, you're going to have so many major magazines pop up. You're just going to be astounded at how much crest she's gotten. Hey, Katerina, thank you so much for being on the show today. I had such a a wonderful time. I wish that we had done it in Paso Rebels with a glass of wine together, but maybe next time, right? Definitely next time. All right. All right. I appreciate you joining me so much and giving us so much time. It really has been an honor and a pleasure. We're going to do more Katerina Axelson tastry. Keep an eye on this woman because she's going to be one of the most important people in this industry and the food industry and a lot of other things because what she's got going on is going on. That's the best I can say. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters next week. Are you following Grape Encounters on social media yet? You're not? Well, you should be. It's the best way to hear the latest, juiciest, unfiltered wine stories. It's also the single best way to keep our unpretentious, decidedly different wine conversations going strong. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Grape Encounters. 
For tons of content on Facebook, you'll want to join our Grape Encounters radio group page. Or if LinkedIn is more your thing, connect with me by typing Grape Encounters Radio or Grape Encounters David in the search bar. Here's the deal. The more you click, the more I'll pour.